Between the two of us, I'm much more interested in politics than Jason is. I do a lot more research, I enjoy talking about it with family and friends, and I love voting in person and getting my I Voted sticker. But my interest in politics started long before we got married. For as long as I can remember, my mom would take me to the voting polls for every election, and she would vote in nearly every election, both primary and general elections. I loved going with her because she would let me have the I Voted sticker, and sometimes she would hold my hand to help me punch the card with her votes. She also used to show me videos about the Founding Fathers and how our government was formed using many biblical principles. So growing up, I really embraced this idea that my faith and politics are interwoven. I went to UC Berkeley for undergrad and graduated with a degree in political science. I chose poli-sci as my major because government and politics was, and still is, incredibly interesting to me. And because the poli-sci building was only a couple of blocks from my apartment. But laziness aside, I enjoyed all of my poli-sci classes, and I took classes about a wide variety of topics, like fascism and Southeast Asian politics. My favorite class, though, was my constitutional law class. I enjoyed every lecture, and I even read beyond the required reading, because every court case that sought to interpret and apply the U.S. Constitution to these specific and often controversial situations was just really fascinating to me. Since my time in college, my interest in government and the political process has not waned. Now I take my own kids with me to the polls to get the I Voted sticker. But as I have gotten older, I have found that there is an increasing tension for me in trying to figure out how to engage in government and politics as a follower of Christ. I find it difficult to try to untangle all the complexities of the political process and be certain about how to vote and how to engage and what my role is as a believer in this confusing maze of policies, propositions, and presidents. So does it matter? Does it matter if we get involved? Does it matter if we vote? Does it matter if we're Democrat or Republican? What is a Christian supposed to do with her faith and her government? Welcome to the ninth episode of Season 2 of Breadcrumbs, our youth ministry podcast at Bread of Life Church. I'm Jason Lowe, the youth minister at Bread of Life, and that was my wife, Abby, special education teacher, mother of three, and a graduate of UC Berkeley with a degree in poli-sci. This season, we are talking about the theme, sacred versus secular. When we label certain activities as sacred or as secular, have we really considered how that influences the way we see the world? Have we thought about how it might hinder our faith? Is it even right or accurate to use such labels? It's October 2020, and in just about a month, we will elect a president for the next four years. It seems that there's little hope of our country agreeing on anything, except that we are as divided as we ever have been. And the tension between faith and politics is a reality I feel every day I consume the headlines. As Abby said, in our family, I'm the one less interested in politics. But even I have to admit that there's a relevance and a responsibility for me as a Christian. The problem is figuring out what that is. What are we supposed to think about candidates and issues? How should we draw our lines? 
Who and what should we support? What kind of relationship should Christians have with their government? Honestly, I needed help answering these questions, so I invited a couple of friends. And I'm thankful for the aid of George Chen and James Hahn. George has been a member of the Torrance City Council since 2018, after retiring from a decades-long career at Raytheon Technologies. And he and his wife, Amy, have been longtime members at Bread of Life Church. James has been a member of the Torrance Unified School District School Board, also since 2018. He's the senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And each of these faithful followers of Jesus helped walk me through their perspective on Christian involvement in government and politics. And as we explore this complex topic, you'll hear some of the wisdom they shared. Now, I want to start where it's always wise to start, with the Bible. What does the Bible say about Christians and government? I want to look at three passages in the Bible that are helpful for Christians who are seeking to be faithful in their relationship with Jesus in the area of politics and government. The first is Romans 13, 1-7. The clear message here is that faithful Christians live as obedient subjects of their human government as a function of their obedience to God. Listen to what Paul writes. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. As I said, the simple message here is that obedience and submission to our human government is a part of our obedience and submission to God. While we're not talking an absolute obedience, it seems clear that it's a general rule. The second passage is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4. through 4. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we should not only obey and submit to our government, but we ought also to pray for it, for our leaders. And the third passage I want to look at is Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, 
says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. To the Jewish exiles in Babylon, God is telling them to settle down where they are. Make lives for yourselves and act as contributors to the welfare of the community you're living in. Look to bring prosperity to it. If I were to simplify this, I'd say that we serve this temporary kingdom in service to our eternal kingdom. Or we honor our American president for God's sake. When I talk to George and James about this, you can really see how their faith is really what motivated them to get involved in politics. This is what George had to say. So this, this question is for both of you. Uh, what made you interested or kind of compelled you to get involved with, with our city government, with our, with our schools? Maybe, uh, maybe George, if you could take it first. Okay, S- simply put, after I retired from Raytheon, July 2017, right before the half dome trip, I told Amy, I just felt a sense of calling you probably know, those who know me, I'm not too charismatic or I you know what is a calling, but I just felt this deep sense of calling. And then I searched the uh, Torrance website just to see if there was a election coming. I didn't even know there was an election coming. So. <laughs> and, uh, and see how many seats were open and uh, talked to Amy about it and sent Craig Hugh in the email and said, hey, is uh, just need to talk to some people. And, that's how we started. Wait, so before you ran for city council, how would you describe your uh, political interest or involvement? I was uh, I pretty, I would say I'm, I was involved, informed, uh, okay. always voted, always uh, studied the issues and the candidates pretty carefully and also looked at Craig Hughes election form. I was just a so, private citizen, just informed. So before you were, inv- were involved with your own campaign, were you involved with other campaigns? No. Yeah, you know, I recall we were in your backyard. I think it was at a Band of Brothers leadership team gathering, and you you were you had just retired, and and you we were we were just talking, and I said it's you know, the natural question, George, what are you going to do now that you're retired? And he said, well, it's funny you ask because, and I think you used the word calling or, or something to that effect. And you said, uh, you know, I might, I might look to get involved with city council. And, you know, I, I didn't not take you seriously, but, but I, I didn't think that this many years later we'd be sitting here and that this is what your life would look like. And James's answer also highlighted his faith. For me, um, you know, I've always been um, involved in my kids' school, um, always involved okay. in um, just involved in the activities and the direction of our kids' school because I wanted to make sure that the school was on the right path. And so the reason why I decided to run was a question that was really at my heart was, how can I love my neighbor better? 
You know, mm -hmm. it's all about loving my neighbor. You know, for me, you know, we did a lot of outreaches as a church. We did a lot of homeless outreach. And I felt like, can I make a greater impact on a, on a, on a different scale, on a different way of addressing these needs? And I thought, I have a passion for my kids. I have a passion for our children in our city. And I thought, you know what, maybe I could help make a difference in our school district. And the idea was maybe I could just simply be a voice. Not that I would bring about radical change, but bring a different perspective. And by doing so, I felt like this was a way for me to love my neighbor, you know, people that I don't know, and to really help make an impact, especially in the lives of children. For both George and James, their faith is most certainly connected to their politics. They see government through the lens of their Christian identity. This is what the Bible teaches about our relationship with government. It's clear, it's simple, and it leaves a whole bunch of American politics unaddressed. And here's one of the reasons why our current political environment in America is largely unaddressed in the Bible. Our representative democracy, the kind of government that we have, is an approach to government that is foreign to the nations, the empires that existed when the Bible was written. Each American adult has a power to participate and influence the leaders and laws of our nation that was completely unknown to the writers of the Bible. The average citizen who lived in those times had no power to elect leaders or support laws that would define their communities. So that leaves us with power and no specific commands about how to exercise that power. And in addressing that reality, I found George's approach to his involvement in government helpful. My Christian values is my foundation. So when I look at each item issue, my foundational values will determine the ultimate decision. Because when I ran a campaign, people asked me, the residents know clearly that I'm a Christian and my values, though I'm not a, you know, I, I don't, those are just my values, even those nonpartisan and it's not whose faith, but at least they know and I said, you know, once you have your basics down, your values, then the decisions become more clear. Hmm. So that's, and that's how I've been, you know, even between, even among the council members, some people say there's a conservative side, there's a liberal side, but even within the conservative side, we don't always vote the same. I, I'm, I'm an independent vote. vote. It's, I, I dig down to my values, I study the issues, and you know, then I just go with it. In other words, our growing faith should determine our values and our convictions. And those values and convictions should be expressed as we exercise our power as American citizens. Ultimately, as American Christians, it's right for us to know our laws, to obey them, and to prayerfully support our leaders. But it is also good for us to exercise the uncommon power that we have to take part in determining the laws and leaders that we obey and support. Before I end with a few take-home points, here's a closing thought from James that I found exceedingly helpful and encouraging. I think for me, 
So my wife and I have been telling our children, all of you get involved in politics. Um, I, we feel like in order for us to be a witness in this world, we have to be a light to the world. And I think that, you know, we can't run away from the government. We can't be in our own little bubbles. We are called to go into the world, not to be a part of the world, but to go into the world. And we need to be able to engage in dialogue and, and to have discussions. One of the great privileges I had is now being in, in this role. I have met so many non-believers. I have met so many non-Christians. You know, as a pastor, I minister to my people all the time. But because of this role, I have the opportunity now to engage with people who know who I am based upon my faith. You know, it allows me to have relationships and build relationships so that perhaps I can share with them the gospel of Christ. And I think that also at the same time, if we really care about our neighbors, if we really care for the welfare of the people that are around us, then what better way for us to make an impact than getting involved in city government? You know, and that's why for all of us, I think that we have to be engaged, you know, as a young person, whether you run for office or not, or get engaged in elections, you have to vote, you know, your vote matters. And I think that we, we underestimate that. But when you do vote, you have to ask yourself, like George said, is what are your convictions? What are the things that matter to you the most? And I want to say to all of you guys right now, if you're, if you're a Republican, it does not mean you're a Christian. If you vote Democrat, it does not mean you're a Christian. I'm tired of hearing that if, you, if, you wanted, if you're truly a Christian, you vote Republican. If you're truly a Christian, you vote Democrat. That is not the case, right? There's, there are views on the Republican side and there are views on the Democrat side that are both Christian, right? And I think we have to understand that. But you as an individual, you have things that are more important to you based upon your convictions, you know? There are certain things that you value more than others. You know, for some, social justice may be higher than abortion. Some people might have immigration as higher than, you know. And so we all have our, 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 our things. You have to vote based upon your convictions. But at the same time, you have to shape your conviction based upon the word, right? Rather than listening to what social media is saying, what everyone else in society is saying, you got to come back to the word and ask yourself, what person am I voting for will help me live out these biblical convictions, um, in that way. And so I believe that it is our civic duty as a Christian duty. I think it is to vote. Um, I think that we need to be able to speak into this process, uh, political process and not be afraid of it. And I think that um, we learn and we engage a lot from it. Um, and so that's one of the things I've really learned <coughs> um, getting into this role it is very hard, you know, especially as a pastor witness and you know, pastor and politician, you know, and, and I always, I struggle with that too. Like the word that you used earlier, tension is a big word. And I, I live out that tension, but that's our Christian life. Our Christian life is living the kingdom life in the fallen world. That's the tension we all live in. That's the tension between secular and sacred, right? You know, and, you know, so that's why I always tell our people, what you do in your work, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, politician, whatever you may be, you can make it sacred, right? Because the question is, what motivates you to do it? Are you a doctor, lawyer, politician, engineer for your own glory? Or can you do it for the glory of God? As we finish, I'd like to offer you a few take-home points. First, our Christian identity is not a political identity. Sometimes Christians are identified with a political agenda and with certain political issues. The term evangelical is often heard with political associations attached. 
Sometimes Christians encourage this when we speak only or most loudly in support of or opposition to political ideas or agendas. This is not a biblical way for us to think. As Christians, we are citizens of a divine kingdom who should be known for lives that resemble Jesus' life more than ones that fight for political and social issues. The second take-home is a corollary of the first, and that's that there's no political party that fully captures our Christian worldview. Neither the Democratic or Republican parties are built on the Bible. To be a Christian is not to be a Republican or a Democrat. So we must allow for the possibility of a faithful Christian who is a Democrat and a faithful Christian who is a Republican. But for a believer on either side of the aisle, it is vital that you ask whether the party's values and convictions are compatible with biblical values and convictions. And when they aren't, you must stand with your biblical values and convictions. And then third, God is not stressed about American politics because he's still sovereign. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, we read, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. You see, the rulers, the nations, the powers of this earth, when they rise up against the Lord, he doesn't feel threatened. And so as Christians, I think it means that we can never forget the fact of God's sovereignty. We shouldn't fear for the future of America because America's future has been, is, and always will be in the hands of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we aren't engaged or active in our participation, but it does mean that our hope is not in our laws or our leaders. Our hope is in someone much more certain and much more trustworthy. That should leave us confident for the future of America, and even more so confident in the future of God's people. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Breadcrumbs. I'd like to give a special thanks to my wife, Abby Lowe, to George Chen and James Hahn. I encourage you to check out our additional resources for this month, as well as the recent message by Scott Ray on September 27th, which was the third and final message of the annual fall conference. Dr. Ray offers some great insight to faith and government. You can find that message on our Bread of Life Church website, breadoflifechurch.org. See you in November.